So good to be here, guys. Um, as was mentioned, my name is Andrew. Uh, you'll see there that I have a very attractive family. My wife, um, we were driving home from Taralgon visiting my grandmother yesterday and she leans over and she says, if I wasn't married to you, I think I'd have a very, very big crush on you. And I thought, <laughs> come on, five years in, still going strong. So my grandparents were exclusive brethren. They came out, they committed the unforgivable sin of um, going to a Billy Graham crusade. So they got excommunicated. Then we went to, my parents were in an open brethren church. Then we went to a Baptist church. And then we moved over to Indonesia. And um, I think we got off the plane and became Baptocostals because um, all of a sudden you start going, whoa, you know, how the heck does this whole spiritual thing work? And, and you start seeing stuff and you go, okay, I need to read my Bible again. So you read your Bible again and then you realize that there were miracles, signs and wonders that we don't battle against just flesh and blood, but against darkness and principalities that God is alive and that um, there are angels and there are demons and, and we're, we're in a real battle. And so I'm a very proud Christian. I, I was going to say a denomination, but it, it would just confuse you. It's like a Menno Baptist, Baptocostal, I don't know. I don't know what I am. I've served, uh, I currently serve with an AOG church. I was at a Mennonite church, so think Amish without the beards. And I've been in all sorts of different churches, but I just love Jesus. So I'll go wherever he is at. Um, can I pray? Because I reckon we're in for a bit of a, a fun, bit of a fun day. And, uh, and I need Jesus. All right. Lord God, I just thank you so much that you love us so much that you would die for us. Just as we were reminded, you wouldn't just die for us, you'd rise again and then you'd send us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Wow, what a God you are. And so, Lord God, I pray uh, as we come together around your word, as we look um, to you and we, and we seek to hear your voice, that you would speak to us in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So we went to America two years ago random, random as experience. I was struggling a little bit just with life and church and I got a, um, I went and got some prayer ministry from this couple and they said, you're about to trip into a new season. It's got nothing to do with yourself. It's got to do with the spiritual inheritance, you know, from your parents and God's going to take you to the darkest places and where creativity is at its wildest and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, okay, cool. And we, uh, I, like a week later, I get an email from North Pole Worship Center in North Pole, Alaska. It's a real town. There really is Santa Claus house. When I met Santa, he said, I hear you got to preach at uh, Pastor Phillips Church. And, and then he said, were you any good? And I said, I don't know. And then he pulled his glasses down and he said, well, you better be good. I thought, oh, Santa, you are a scary man. So, so they were friends of my parents that invited us up and we spoke at, my parents run a, a hospital, a, a school um, and a children's, a, a bunch of children's homes in Indonesia. I'm a, a missionary kid. And so I go up and then on the way I speak at this little church in LA, once again, friends of my parents. So I, I preached and then they said, oh, we'd love to have you back. They had like this mini revival in their church after I preached. So I went back and then... And they said, oh, you should plant a church here down in Orange County. And, um, you know, you could go to Fuller Theological Seminary. You could start a church. You know, we need great churches here. 
And I said no, and God said yes. And um, so we, we, my wife was pregnant at the time with our first son. Uh, we only have one son with our son, Sean. Well, I'll tell you something crazy. We were told that we weren't able to have kids. Um, well, we were told that it would take years and years because my wife had terrible polycystic ovaries. And then when I'm preaching at this church in Alaska, an, another church up there, um, the lady said, I knew you were coming. I was praying for you. Uh, she says this to my wife. She says, have you considered having children? Well, Joyce says, you know, not going to happen uh, anytime soon. She says, oh, that's funny because I think you're pregnant. I think it's a boy and I think you're about 21 days. And uh, so on our third wedding anniversary on our way out of America, my wife says, sit down. You know how God likes the surprises? I'm like, no way. So we had a little boy. Now we've had a little girl. Crazy, crazy times. Anyway, so, so I said no. God said yes. And Joyce's parents weren't too happy about it either. My parents are overseas, so they kind of like, oh, cool, America. Um, but so we moved over to, to the States to, to start a church. And the photo here um, is on the left there. You see an uh, older guy who's homeless. And he's sitting in front of the MGM Grand. And I, for me, this sums up our time in America so far. We've been there two years. I thought I'd go over there and just go, you know, boom. And there'd be this massive revival and all of America would get saved or wake up again. It's going to be awesome. And yet we found ourselves in the most humbling positions over there. God's really had to break us down um, and yet the most amazing grand things have happened as well. So it's been like MGM grand and I feel like I'm sitting in a gutter. And I say to people, our time in America so far has been the hardest two years of my life and I've never seen more miracles ever. Um, so it's been, it's been amazing. Um, if you have a look here, you'll see. Uh, we, so the, the first church on the left, that's the Mennonite church I was at, um, that we're baptizing a girl that got saved that first time that I preached and they, they had like their mini revival and got to baptize her and that was fantastic. So we were with them for a year, learned so many things, but the reality is it just wasn't going to work for them to plant us out. Um, and so in my total utter despair, I'm at this church planters forum and, you know, it's pretty scary. Like we lost the majority of our support and the dollar basically went, you know, like we went over when it was nearly dollar for dollar. Now it's like 60 something cents to the dollar. And when you're over in a country where you don't have any friend, friend, like close friends, we're building close friends and you've got no family and you find yourself in situations where you're like, just would really like some milk for my son, you know, and we don't have the money to, to buy it. Then we pray and the next morning our neighbours bring us a big thing of milk. Like that kind of stuff has happened all the time. But it's, it's humbling. So I'm at this church planters forum. They said, how are you doing with your church plant? You know, because I'm the thunder from down under. Everyone's so excited about Big Red. And I just stand up there and I'm like, I just start weeping. I said, I'm so overwhelmed. And this pastor at the back of the room, he said, um, that guy, I want to help him. So we went out for coffee and I meet up at this big fountain at this outdoor mall and I felt the Lord say to me at the fountain, um, whatever he asks you to do, I want you to say yes. So he said, 
basically we want to cover you and support you and and move down to Irvine, which is the city we feel called to plant in, and you and let's do this thing together. And I was like, okay, you know, because we literally just lost our covering. The crazy thing is, we went to this conference because at the same time as he's having that conversation with us, this mega church of like. 15,000 people over all these different campuses. Their main campus has about 7,000 people on a weekend. They're having a conversation with us saying, you know, look, would you consider coming on staff? We want to plant churches, all this kind of stuff. And so we said, oh, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Um, we got these two choices. And we went to this conference and um, there's, you know, Bill Johnson and all these um, crew, Roland Baker and them. And we get a word that, there's this big fountain. And I don't know if that means anything to you as you make your decision, but I just see this big fountain and I'm like, okay. So we went with this smaller, this smaller church. But then when I met with the big church, they said, you do realise our big ponds have little, because they have like man-made lakes, have little fountains coming out of them. And I got this verse about um, how one of the tribes of Israel, their inheritance came out of another because the other tribe had more than they needed. And so we're doing this crazy thing where we're partnering with this small church that meets in a movie theater and in bars and is super kind of missional community and this mega church. And we're going to like start a church and tell people about Jesus. And it's interesting. People have said, oh, you know, Orange County. Oh, even this lady on the bus at the airport, like, welcome to America. She goes, uh, oh, you're planning a church in Irvine. <laughs> No one's sitting around thinking about their spiritual life there. Good luck. <laughs> I'm like, thanks. Um, but we've actually found the opposite. We've been living in Irvine for four months now. Another God story. I'm just going to tell heaps of God stories, then I'm going to tell more God stories out of here, and then I'm going to pray for people. Is that all right? Um, so we move into this house. Now, people are paying six months to a year's rent in advance with cash to get into this city, Irvine. It's the safest city in America. It's expected to grow by 75000 in the next um, five to ten years. And we have no income, no credit history, uh, no social security numbers, which is that stuff means something in America. And we get, we get offered this house like this. I was at this church and the pastor says, oh, my neighbor's moving out um, to go plant a church, ironically. So he his place will be vacant. I can give you the landlord's number. So we contact the landlord and they look at us and they're like, they're pretty hesitant, but they're Indian. So I'm like, Joyce, you just work it. Like just, they're, they're comparing taxi stories. They're like just love and life. Joyce hates it when I say that. Um, and uh, actually... Indians are taking over the world in a, in a good way. Uh, there are so many Indians in our community, which was amazing for us because we were like, wow, you know, we, who would have ever thought that God would, like, I just never thought that God would use the fact that Joyce is Indian to reach Indians in America. It's like, what the heck? And so we're, and so we're over there and, and they look at it and, and even the pastors at the local church said, I would never rent to you. You are so bad. Like on paper, you're so bad. And I'm going, you've got to understand, we had $300 at the, end, at the beginning of the, the bank statement and $300 at the end, and we survived in between. Um, I'm trying to explain to these guys, these Hindus, like what living by faith is. Um, anyway, they took us. 
Um, just amazing. So we moved into Irvine. We've had two community barbecues now to try and reach our neighbours. Jesus said, love your neighbour as yourself. So love the Lord your God, all your heart, soul and mind. Love your neighbour as yourself. And it talks about all the law and the prophets hang on this. And as Christians, we're really good at doing, yeah, I love my neighbours um, at work. I love my neighbours at my football club. I love my neighbours at my church. And yes, they're your neighbours, but that doesn't exclude your neighbours from being your neighbours. And so we've put on these community barbecues to literally meet our neighbours. And you'll see on the right, this is kind of phase one of our church plant. And you've got people that um, share a door, like their doors are closer than that panel and this panel together. And they're standing in, in the back patio of our barbecue that, and they're going, oh, you're number one, right? Yeah, I'm number three. Oh, we park our cars next to each other and see each other every single time we, you know, walk in and out of our houses. Nice to meet you. They lived next to each other for three years. One of the families, a Christian family, um, and I'm like, what the heck? This other person comes up to us and says, this is amazing. We've lived in this housing area since 1999 and we've never had a meal with our neighbours. I'm like, wow. So we've been so encouraged at this um, just stir something in your heart. Grab a book called The Art of Neighbouring by uh, Dave Runyon and a, another guy. And they talk about actually loving your neighbour as yourself. Um, so we've had 12 families come through. It's just been phenomenal. Such a great time. Uh, if you have a look here, this is my prayer hill on Wednesdays. I so believe in the power of prayer. I don't believe any significant move of God happens without prayer. I believe that if we want to see anything done on earth, we have to first grab it in heaven and come in agreement with what God's doing. And so on Wednesdays, I uh, have set Wednesdays as like my prayer and fasting day for our city. And um, that's the hill I go up on and I just look out on the city and I pray um, whenever I get a chance. Um, This is the the senior centre that we're considering planting in. Another God story. So literally... How we found the city and how we found the place was all maps. I felt God say, I want you to fall in love with maps. So I started to fall in love with maps. I'm so not into maps. But this little red dot, this senior centre, and I said to my wife and this couple that was considering planting with us, I said, that's where we've got to go. Let's go. So we booked it. We'd never, like, been there. We booked it. We did, a, we did like, a afternoon prayer session there. And as we're walking out, 5.30 in the afternoon, a senior centre, like not a Christian school, not a Christian anything, it's a government-run senior centre, there's a family walking around the car park. And I said, pull over the car. They're looking for something. And my wife says, we don't even know this area. We don't even live in Irvine yet. What are you talking about? We, I said, no, 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 they're looking for something. Stop the car. I wound down the window. I said, are you guys looking for anything? They said, we're actually looking for a church. Is there a church that meets in this building? And I was like, there is now. <laughs> So I'm studying at Fuller Seminary. I'm uh, doing a six-month church planting course. I'm just graduating that. And I've, had, I've been in ministry now for 10-ish years. I've done, uh, travelled all sorts of crazy places, seen all sorts of crazy things. And with my highly esteemed masters, you know, and my amazing life experience, I have a profound theological bomb that I want to drop on you. Are you ready for this? This is what I've been learning. Um, And and I would say this is kind of it. God is enough. 
God is enough. Today we're going to look at Joshua, the book of Joshua, chapter 5. And we're going to be jumping into Romans 2 as well. All right. Joshua 5. Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over their hearts, melted in fear, and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. So we're going to be looking at, the, at Joshua 5. And for those of you who are familiar with the story, you probably know what we're talking about. Some of you may not be. Basically, Israel has been promised that they can take the promised land. Um, they freaked out. We read in Deuteronomy that uh, the, the fortified cities, the giants that were there freaked them out. And so they were like, uh, I don't know. They end up wandering around. A whole generation dies off because they're so scared. Don't we do this so often? It's like God says, I want you to do this. And we go, yeah, maybe later. No. And, and we can waste years and years and years and years. And then we say, where is God? He's like, I'm right where you left me. <laughs> Just go back and do that thing I asked you to do. And so the nation of Israel has been told to take the promised land. They cross over a river that is in flood. Every time I think of that, I think, isn't that amazing? Like, it, they didn't just cross over a river. They crossed over a river that was in flood. If you've ever seen a river in flood, you stay away from those things. You don't walk across them. They cross over a river that's in flood. God's doing these amazing miracles, and people start to hear. And as I read this story, I'm just going to um, pull out a few things that I think could help us because I would say that there are some people here that you feel like God has told you to do something or told you that you can do something or he's starting to stir something up in your heart and the reality is you're just afraid, you just you feel ill-equipped, maybe you're bound up by religion. I feel like that's a big thing we're going to pray for today. Um, and I just want to give you three things that I think can help you break that fear, break the, the things that might be holding you back. It's interesting that scripture that talks about um, the sin that so easily entangles. Can anyone quote that verse for me straight up? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, what's it say? Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. It hit me recently. Some of you may have been sitting in this profound truth for a while, but it just hit me recently that there's sin and then there's just things that aren't helpful. Like we throw off the things that hinder and we throw off the sin. And there might be some things that you're like, well, it's not sin, so I'm, I'm just going to, you know, like an addiction. Oh, okay, addiction, hmm, use the word. Um, using social media a lot <laughs> might not be a, a sin, but it might not necessarily be helpful depending on how much time you, you know, Watching TV for hours and hours might not necessarily be a sin, but it might not be a helpful thing. It might be something that hinders you from running your race. And so I want to share a few things that I just think can help us. And you're going to know, you're going to know in your head and your heart what the thing is. The Holy Spirit like, is, I'm pretty confident he leads and guides us and he speaks to us. And he might stir something up in you right now. You're thinking about that one thing that God's asking you to do, that one thing God's asking you to let go of. And I just want to give you a few things that are going to help you step into what God has for you um, today. So the first thing 
that we see in Joshua 5. They've just crossed over. It's, it's about to be like, it's about to be on, right? The first thing we see that God does for these people is he deals with their enemies. He deals with their boundary. He deals with that, that, that thing that, is, that uh, was the very thing that was intimidating them, the armies, the enemy. And I want to encourage you as we go through this book of Joshua and as we go through today, what is it that God needs to deal with? What's that boundary, that fear, that thing that's holding you back? Because when God starts doing things, the enemy, like, you know, the verse that talks about the kingdom, like violent men advance the kingdom. It's taken by, by, by violence. Like that's the, kind of, that's the kind of thing that happens when we start, when God starts moving, the enemy starts retreating and God moves and the enemy retreats and the enemy's freaking out because, oh my goodness, they said they were going to do it. They said God had told them they were going to do it. And now they're actually doing it and they freak out. And I want to encourage you. The first thing I want to say today is God will deal with those enemies. Like if you just step out, like if, because why is it that the enemy was freaking out? Why? Because they'd actually crossed the river. They'd act like it says that the, the Canaanite kings along the coast, the Amorite and Canaanite kings along the coast, heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they'd crossed over their hearts, melted in fear. They no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. If you want to kick the enemy's butt, take a step of faith. All right, uh, verse 2. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Haraloth. Now, this is why he did so. All those, I mentioned this before, all those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, they died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. So the Israelites had moved about in the wilderness 40 years until all the men who were of military age, when they left Egypt, had died since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land he had solemnly promised their ancestors to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. I'd never thought of this, but I just had this thought right now. They had not been circumcised on the way. We're the people of the way, and yet some of us still aren't circumcised. And I'm talking about a circumcision of the heart. I'm not talking about a physical circumcision. So if we have a look at Romans 2, obviously Joshua 5 is talking about a physical circumcision, but I want to share something out of Romans 2 that talks about that circumcision of the heart. So Romans 2.17, Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God, if you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? 
You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who brag about the Lord, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed amongst the Gentiles because of you. Circumcision has no value if you observe the law, but if you break the law. You have become as though you have not been circumcised. If those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, they will not be regarded as, those, as though they were circumcised. The one will condemn you who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. A man is not a Jew if he's only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. And I only felt a prompting to read that whole passage during worship. But I feel to encourage you guys that when we live under the law, we live under hypocrisy and death. The law came to point us to grace. And now that we're in grace, so the law came to say, you need the grace of Jesus. Like you can't do it on your own. Hey, uh, do not commit adultery. Jesus goes, oh, and if you even look at a lust, you've committed a, a, a woman with lust, you've committed adultery. It's like, okay, fantastic. Failed in that area. The law says, you know, do not murder. And we get angry in our hearts. It's like we're killing someone, you know. Like we, the law was just like, you're going to fail. <laughs> like in the big scheme of things, in the, in the eternal timeline, it's like God was, took us through an age where he said, you need me. And so now that we're in the age of grace, if you keep going back to the law and going back to your religiosity and going back to your, I'm holier than thou, um, it's, you're effectively saying, I don't need the grace that you, say, you said I needed. And that puts us in a very dangerous space, doesn't it? When grace is offered, but we operate under law, we go, hmm, what Jesus did, yeah, don't, don't actually need that. I, can. I love the cross. I love the cross because the cross reminds us that we cannot do it. You can't. And the interesting thing when I moved to America is that I was pretty full of myself. I still think I'm pretty awesome primarily because of my wife's crush on me. Um, but I, was, I thought, you know, I could do this. And I remember God saying to me one day, as people would say to me, oh, so what church do you go to? And I'd say the church and they'd go, oh, never heard of it. Oh, what church did you go? To? Oh, 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 you're from Australia. Oh my, are you from Sydney? No, I'm from Melbourne. Melbourne, I've never been to Melbourne, but I've been to Sydney. What are you doing here? I'm a pastor. You're a pastor? Oh my gosh, are you from Hillsong? No, no, I went to a church called Discovery Church. I've never heard of Discovery Church, but I've heard of Hillsong. And I remember God saying to me, Andrew, am I enough? And it was a dark day when I said, no, you're not. You plus significance is enough. You plus a title is enough. You plus a successful church plant is enough. <laughs> So God just kept stripping me back, stripping me back, stripping me back. 
And trust me, I had the whole outward thing happening. But it was, it was a work in the... I really needed a work of the heart. I really needed God to strip things back. And, and I wonder whether there's some people here today that you know how to teach others. But how often do you sit in the, in the quiet place and let God teach you? You know how to preach against stealing. And yet, when you're honest, you've done a bit yourself. You know how to say, oh, don't you commit adultery. And yet, you looked at a woman with lust. You know how to say, oh, the idolatry of this world. And yet, you rob the temple. You brag about the law. And yet, dishonor God by breaking the law. And I don't say this to condemn you. I say this to go, you need Jesus. (laughs) You need the grace that God offers you. And so the, the second thing that we find that God does is one, he deals with our enemies. And two, he deals with our heart. If you want to step into the thing that God's got for you, you have got to let God deal with your heart. And it says in verse 8, It says, and after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. They didn't run off all bloody and messy and and not ready, like not not healed. And I want to say to you, like there is healing found in Jesus. And sometimes it's messy and sometimes it's hard, but man, is it worth it? To go, God, you've got this. I was standing in worship, for those of you who can see this, this is a chewing gum wrapper. Number one rule for ministry is um, have reasonably smelling breath. And so, um, can I have an amen? Those of you who have been prayed for with garlic breath. Um, And I I was sitting there and I was holding this piece of paper and I had a revelation recently that my top gift is a prophet, and so I should prepare to preach like a prophet. Often I try and preach like a teacher, and I'm not very good at it. And prophets often give language to what's going on in the room. And so I was sitting there, and I was playing with this little bit piece of paper. You probably can't see it. Just imagine a tiny piece of paper in my fingers right now. It is there. And I was trying to rip it. I was trying to break it, and I couldn't. I was twisting, and and then I felt like, That's what can happen to us as Christians. We get so bound up, so tight, so caught up in anything other than what God's actually calling us to do, what God actually wants us to do. And so I was standing there and I was thinking, if I can just unravel this, if I can just let let this thing kind of spread out a little bit and just let go of a few things and just become a little less uptight and just let go of a few things, and then it actually is super easy to rip. But when it's all tight, when we're all tied up and we're all unhealed, you know, it can be difficult to step into the things that God wants to do. And I want to encourage you that maybe some of us today are going to receive prayer, we're going to receive a moment with God, we're going to have time in His presence. And something 
that was so tied up and, and just it was it's either sin that's that's tangling you up or it's just something that's not helpful. It's it's a hinderer. And you're gonna be able to let that go and you're gonna see its power broken. Um before I keep preaching, while we're thinking about what are we gonna to respond to, because this is what I do. I come, I preach really average, and then God shows up um really amazingly. That's that's kind of how I that's my ministry. You sum up my ministry. I preach average and God is amazing. Um, that's what I've been experiencing anyway. So, so I've, been, I've been growing in, in the area of just letting go and letting God and having God as enough and, and trusting that the Bible actually, like the things of God in the Bible are actually real. Like I know that sounds crazy, but the amount of times we open our Bible, and we, it says love your neighbor as yourself, but you see, it actually means... Love people that aren't your neighbour as yourself. It's like, no, it says love your neighbour as yourself, you know. It says it will do greater things than what Jesus did, but it actually means, um, no, it says we could do greater things than what Jesus did. It says that some come out by prayer and fasting, and it actually means that sometimes we pray and fast and strongholds are broken. Like, And so one of the things I've been growing in is just this, prophetic gift because I believe that the gifts are for now and if you read your Bible you might as well and it says um, and so I've been getting lists as I've been traveling to churches this is so crazy so I went to Alaska preached at this church and I felt like God wanted to um, speak to some people and I'm freaking out I put up on Facebook friends pray I feel like God's going to do something and for the first time ever I get one of those like you know earpiece lists if you've ever seen that funny um, movie that mocks it, but I actually think it's real because I've been experiencing it. And I get a list. It's like God's speaking to me saying, you need to pray for these things. Well, I, you know, I'm like, well, I feel like there's uh, a lady here and you're, you're, uh, you're into witchcraft, some sort of demonic thing, and you just need prayer. Well, this lady comes down. I get a little bit of oil. I pop it on her forehead and she goes, <laughs> I turn the elders around me. I said, it's my witch. <laughs> um, <laughs> I and another couple on the on the on the list they were uh so I so I got that I needed to pray for a couple's marriage so I'm like you know I'm freaking out like I'm like this is a that time was a couple of years ago like I don't even hardly mastered changing diapers for my my son and I'm or nappies sorry nappies um and here I am like delivering lists. I feel like Jeremiah the prophet, you know. I can't speak. I'm too young. And and God's like, oh, I'm with you. And so here I am. And I said, there's a couple here and you need prayer for your marriage. Well, no joke. This couple comes down. I feel to ask, what's the story? They, She says, he's not even supposed to be here. I'm like, okay. Um, he was just dropping off his daughter. We've been divorced for seven years. He's not even meant to be in church. But he was sitting at the back and I was sitting at the front. We heard you say that. And well, I guess we're both standing here asking for prayer for our marriage. And I'm like. <laughs> and now they're working on things to, to, to look at getting married again. Seven years divorced. I was like, what the heck? I had, uh, I had uh, on Friday night, I got a name Someone challenged me. They said, get more specific. So I'm like, okay, God, give me more specific lists. Like, and I get a name and this girl comes up to me and she goes, please pray for my husband, Joshua. That was the name I got. I was like, 
Okay, because I looked around the room, I knew every, every male in the room and I knew there was no Joshua. So I'm like, okay, and I'd like to pray for Joshua. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh God, I hope I'm hearing, okay. Okay, let's finish Joshua 5. What do you say? Um, so he, the first thing God does is he deals, with, he deals with our enemies. He deals with that fear. The second thing he does is he deals with our heart. And the third thing he does is he deals with the provision side of things. He deals with the finance. He deals with the courage, you know. We need provision in all areas of our life, don't we? Like sometimes it's harder to believe that our child can come back to Jesus than it is to believe that we could win the lotto. Like, oh, God could give me a million dollars, but he could never soften that heart. And so God provides God provides, whatever, whether it's that we need faith, whether it's that we need finance. I can tell you for us, like, um, just before we left, we had, you know, a story of our life. We had no money. And um, we're sitting on our bed and we're going, God, we've got the airline tickets. We, we, we're ready to go back to Australia for this month trip, but we don't have enough money to pay for Abigail, our daughter's passport. So God, we're not asking for money for groceries. We're not asking for money for petrol. All we're asking for is this passport. Please cover the passport. Our appointment's on Monday morning. It's Saturday. We don't have the $190. So we just prayed specific. And I have, we will be here until midnight if I tell you all the stories just like this one. So Sunday morning, we walk into church and this lady comes up to us and says, um, do you, she says, I just want to know how much is Abigail's passport? She knew we had a, an appointment, but her husband and her, when they did passports for their five kids, realised passports aren't cheap when you add it all up. And then they thought about us not working. And they were like, because we're on a, a visa where we can't work. I just got a permit, which praise God. But they thought about us not working. And they're like, that's something we can do. So she just comes up, says, how much is the passport? She writes on the check, $190 for Abigail's passport, much love. And my wife turns to me and says, that came at a good time. I didn't know this, but she'd been up at night, breastfeeding and crying through the night, worried about our finances. And then God goes, just when you need to know that I am still on the throne, that I will provide, you pray a specific prayer and I will answer it. And it was like, Come on, God. So he will deal with the enemies. He will deal with your heart and he will deal with the provision. Joshua 5, 9. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to that day. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread, roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. And some of us are living in a land of manna and God's like, would you just eat what I've provided in the promised land? And if we would just step across the river, if we would just step into that thing that God's knocking on your heart about, then you might find that all of a sudden the days of manna are gone and the, and the produce of the promised land is, is all that you eat and it is so, so good.
Uh, Joshua 5, 13 to 15. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up, saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. So get this picture. They're camped on the plains. They're ready to go. The city is right there. The thing, it's right there, like right there. They've crossed the river. You know, some of you have made amazing steps in the kingdom of God, but there might be something else, something more, something greater, some, like a big breakthrough right there that's still to come. The job wasn't done when they, fin- when they crossed the river. And so he looks up and he sees a man standing in front of him. He, I don't know which direction this man came from, but I just wonder, like, imagine he, he's looking up and he's seeing this big city, but then he sees this man. It's like, wow. And the man has a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals or your shoes for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, if you've studied anything around Middle East culture and back then and, you know, seminary degrees, um, you, would, you would know that the shoes, like these were the, the dirty things. They were the, you'd walk on the, on the, the dung and all that on the streets and so you take your shoes off because that's kind of your filth, that's your dirt, that's your... And you take your shoes off because you're standing in holy ground and you don't want anything to get in the way between you and God. And the, the revelation that I've had recently is, because this is the interesting thing, is we don't know what happened in that moment. It doesn't record it. All we know is Joshua takes off his shoes and stands in hol- on holy ground and then takes Jericho and then takes the promised land. But I think this is a part of that story we cannot miss, that before that the, really this amazing breakthrough that was going to change the history of the world is still the centre of our world politics, you know, happen just after a man took off his shoes and stood in holy ground, stood on holy ground. So this is my encouragement to you. Don't go out there and try and knock down your walls. Don't go out there and try and grab that thing that's ticking in your heart. Don't, unless you've stood on holy ground. And it might be in your living room. You might have to go right now and you go, cool, let's do this. It might be in your car as you drive out. You go, oh, God, I need, I need to be with you and I get rid of my religion. I get rid of my, the things that are holding me back. I, you know, I don't want those things. I want to be on holy ground. I want you. And then you'll be able to take the promised land. 